welcome everyone to the edition of Governed by God, a biblical look at law, civics, and government. My name is Eric Leupold. Thank you for joining me on today's episode. Today I had the privilege of interviewing David Fowler, who is president of the Family Action Council, Tennessee. And today we're going to talk about the common law, its importance, and some of the things that we have gotten wrong as a culture or forgotten as a culture regarding it. So uh, I really enjoyed this interview, and I hope that you will be blessed by it. And so without further ado, my interview with David Fowler. Well, David, thank you for joining me on uh, my, my, my episode today. And uh, before we begin, I just wanted to uh, ask the first question, the uh, introduction, introductory question of uh, just tell uh, tell the audience, tell the listeners uh, who you are and your experience and what you do. Well, I'm a, a native of the Tennessee area, Chattanooga. If everybody's ever heard of uh, the state of Florida, and mm-hmm. they're from uh, your area of the country, they've driven through Chattanooga most mm-hmm. likely. Mm-hmm. Um, down down I-75, grew up there, went to law school in 1980 and graduated and practiced law um, up until 2006. But in um, 1994, uh, believed that God was calling me to take my knowledge of the law and my love for his word and the kingdom of God and run for the legislature. So I... Uh, decided uh, I would run against this 26-year incumbent Republican and mm-hmm. uh, won and served 12 years in the Tennessee Senate mm-hmm. while also continuing to practice law, taught college by vocationally a little bit for a while too. But um, then in 2006, Tennessee was um, um, going to be voting on an amendment to the state constitution mm-hmm. about marriage. And uh, Focus on the Family was trying to find organizations that it could partner with to help um, ensure that that passed on the ballot. And out of that came the organization I now run, which is the Family Action Council of Tennessee. So uh, I left the legislature in 06. My law practice, we founded the Family Action Council of Tennessee and been doing that ever, ever since then. So uh, what I now do through that organization though is i lobby the legislature on uh, public policy matters that uh, affect the foundational structure of uh, the family marriage parental rights relationships those kinds of things and um then i also am now doing some more litigation work you know mm-hmm. in a sense you might say with respect to these same kinds of issues about um, marriage and family life. So we've been focused the last several years on trying to push back on the Supreme Court's decision about same-sex marriage in 2015 and, and starting to see some progress on that. So we're encouraged. So hmm. that's uh, that's sort of who I am, where I've been, what I've been doing, I guess uh, yeah. you could say, for – 28 years now. Oh my goodness, yeah, that's that's awesome, and uh, a lot of breadth of experience there, uh, both the political and the in the legal realm. Uh, yeah, so, yeah. I, I, I tell people, I said, I, I've I've been a lawyer, I've been a politician, but I've never been a TV evangelist or a used car salesman. Okay. So. <laughs> 
<laughs> two out of four, right? Two out of the four. <laughs> yeah. Well, I kind of put used car salesman and television, uh, TV evangelist maybe in the same category. That's a good point. Perhaps I shouldn't, but uh, <laughs> anyway, I've, oh, I've not still fallen time. into. Yeah, I've not backslidden to the to the complete level that a person could go. <laughs> <laughs> no, that is that is funny and awesome. Yeah. Um, so then that's exactly why I, I wanted you to come onto the podcast because uh, for those who who don't know, I, I heard I heard you be interviewed on um, the Cross Politic podcast, and then you have your own podcast that that's has right. joined the Fight Laugh Feast Network. Um, can you say a little bit about that podcast? Sure. No, I appreciate the opportunity. It's called God, Law, and Liberty. And we started uh, two and a half years ago, I guess. And our our intention is to specifically help Christians understand the relationship between God, law, and liberty, uh, mm. which is a very innovative title. Mm. And so we, uh, we bring in um, or I try to bring into it not only a wealth of scripture that pertains to those things, but um, bring in also historical examples, current events that um, th- that connect all of those dots. So, for mm-hmm. example, this week's podcast is about the Respect for Marriage Act mm-hmm. that's pending in front of Congress and how our eschatology influences the way we look at that act. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people would never think, what does my eschatology have to do? with the Respect for Marriage Act that's pending in Congress. Mm-hmm. Well, I explained that. So I'm, yeah. um, and most of what I do, to be honest, is um, as my heart is really a teacher, mm-hmm. don't come to me for cross politic to get the latest kind of little take on the news of the day so much as it's, it's series that take a vein of something. Yeah. And then, then I may explore that for 10, 12, 15 weeks, all the while bringing in, you know, current examples, but it's, um, yeah, it's really theologically driven more than what's in the news driven. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And, and, and that's why I was really, um, I really enjoyed your podcast and really struck by it because it, it just resonates with me. It's very similar to what I've been trying to do, although I have a lot less experience. (laughs) Well, well, that's all right. It just proves you're not as, as retro reprobate as I am of having been (laughs) A, a lawyer and a politician. <laughs> yeah. So that's why you I wanted have, to. Oh, go ahead. Yeah. I was going to say. So you have certain saving graces that I don't have. <laughs> you you don't have as much to unlearn. That, that's the that's the beautiful part. I guess yeah, you could maybe. say. That's a good point. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's you know it's kind of like the the Pharisees and the Sadducees had a lot to unlearn, didn't they? Yeah. And it was a trouble. Jesus was a stumbling block for him, but. For the Gentiles, it was like, this is incredible news. Yeah, so one thing that I learned a lot from from you, and I don't, that instead of unlearning it, I needed to learn this, was when I, when, when we're looking at the, t- the concept of, of the common law, and, and that, that kind of brings me into, you know, I wanted to get your expertise in on, is because a lot of folks, such as myself, uh, grew up not not realizing that not all law is exactly the same, that there are right. different categories of law, such as common law, and I've heard it called uh, another ca- category called positive or, or continental law. But maybe mm-hmm. uh, if you could take a few minutes just to explain the difference and, and the importance of that distinction. Sure, sure. Be, be happy to, to do that. 
Um, I, I'm, I'm going to explain common law in a way that to the extent you have any lawyers who listen or law students who listen to you by saying first what it is not, mm -hmm. um, because that will help you better understand what it is. So when I went through law school, we talked about the common law to some extent, okay, but we were taught that common law is judge-made law. Hmm. It's, it's the law that comes out of the courtroom. So, so when people have a dispute and they go into the courtroom, um, the judge makes a decision, and that's the law. So we often look at the United States Supreme Court, and we say, oh, they issued a ruling on same-sex marriage that says uh, it's unconstitutional for states to limit marriage licenses to a man and a woman. Mm -hmm. You uh, states are now required if they're going to issue licenses to issue licenses to any two people, and that's the law. Now, uh, I want to clarify here. Mm. The court, the Supreme Court in particular, is is has a duty to interpret the Constitution. What is it? What do its words and phrases mean? And and so the Constitution's a little bit different mm -hmm. from what common law is. But it's this same concept that judges make law, right? Hmm. This is now the law of the land. Hmm. Uh, the Supreme Court has legalized abortion. The Supreme Court has legalized um, same-sex marriage, hmm. right? But judges uh, exercise judgment, hmm. not, as it says in the Federalist Papers, force nor will. Hmm. Now, let me let me kind of explain that just a minute. When Hamilton wrote that and said, don't worry about the judiciary taking over, even though the federal judges are lifetime appointments, except for bad behavior, don't worry about it, because their power, the very nature of their function is limited to judgment. Hmm. And you might say, well, legislators exercise judgment, too. They decide to license same-sex marriages or not license them. They decide to have a heartbeat bill or a 15 weeks bill. Hmm. But it's talking about a different concept, I guess you could say, than just judgment. Should I marry this woman or not marry this woman? We exercise judgment every day. Mm -hmm. What he's distinguishing here is the legislature has will. It can say, this is the law. Mm -hmm. You have to get a marriage license to be married. The executive branch is force. It executes the law. So it exercises force. Hey, um, you committed this crime. We're going to exercise force and put you in jail, right? Mm -hmm. So Hamilton is distinguishing that the judge exercises judgment. Now, what is that? He's saying the only power, the only authority a court has is when a dispute arises between two parties and if the court or the judge has jurisdiction over it, meaning they have the, the, the right to decide the case, hmm. um, it's within their jurisdictional authority, then all the judge can do is exercise judgment to decide who wins or loses. Okay. His authority only goes to the people in the courtroom. But we now treat, this, this goes back to the Supreme Court, as if they've made law for everybody instead of exercising judgment relative to the parties that are in the courtroom. Hmm. Now, 
and I'm going to tie this back to common law in a minute. I'm trying to give you, make sure people understand the, the concept of the judicial power and how it's different hmm. and how we don't even understand this fundamental aspect of it. Yeah. So theoretically, when Roe versus Wade came down and they said the Texas law on abortion is unconstitutional, it resolved a dispute between Jane Roe and the state of Texas. Mm-hmm. And the state of Texas could not have prosecuted her. Okay. But that has nothing to do with Susie Smith or Sally Jones, who live in Texas. They weren't deciding a case involving Susie or Sally. They were deciding one involving Jane. Now, Texas didn't prosecute any other women because they knew, well, uh, we'll probably lose, right? Yeah. If we try to prosecute them. But Tennessee could have said, or, or Pennsylvania could have said, well, gee whiz, Texas made stupid arguments to defend their jurisdictional authority, protect the life of unborn persons who are persons, and we're going to continue to enforce our law. Hmm. And we're going to make a different and better argument and try to reverse Roe as being precedent to be used against us because the Supreme Court does not make law. Hmm. It exercised judgment in a particular case based upon a particular record in front of the judge and particular arguments in front of the judge. But what if Pennsylvania had had a different record with different information and different arguments? Hmm. They have the freedom to do that. So the first thing we need to appreciate is common law is not judge-made law because judges do not make law. (laughs) Okay? Yeah, that makes sense. (laughs) Okay. So then, well, what is common law? Common law, in the simplest way to explain it, is that that law, that understanding of law, the nature of law, okay? And by that, I'm not referring to a particular law. Mm-hmm. You know, you have to be 18 to, to drive. But what is law itself? It says law itself exists independent of any act of man. Whether it is the legislature and certainly the judge, because as we just said, judges don't even make law, right? Yeah. Well, I'll come back to that as to what they do do. But anyway, so it is a recognition of what you and I as Christians would say is that there is a law by which God has ordered his whole cosmos. So if you look at at passages like in Jeremiah 31 and 33, Mm -hmm. when God is talking about his covenant with his people, he says, look at the stars and the sun and the moon. And if you can break my covenant and the ordinance by which I regulate the heavens, then you can change my relationship to you. Hmm. What is he saying? There's a law that governs everything. From the stars down to my relationship with people. Hmm. And the common law acknowledged that that was the truth about the nature of the order of the world we live in. Hmm. That it preceded anything the legislature might do or a judge might declare. So, So common law is a biblical conception of law as a thing. Does that make sense? Yeah. Is it like a thing that's discovered? Well, now this is the, 
the beautiful part about when you understand the common law, here's what William Blackstone would have said in his commentaries on the laws of England. Now, mm-hmm. Let me tell you who Blackstone is for your listeners. I'm sure, sure you probably have heard of him, but, but Blackstone wrote his commentaries on the laws of England in 1765, you know, around the time that things are fomenting around here. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and we took from England, our system of laws from England, it's, conception of common law okay that's the foundation for our legal system Hmm. so for example in june when the supreme court decided the dobbs case reversing Roe versus wade what did it look at the common law how did the common law treat abortion and who did they cite william blackstone Hmm. and his predecessors in the second amendment case Let's assume some of your listeners could care less about abortion, but they like their guns. (laughs) Second Amendment case, New York pistol and rifle um, versus New York, decided the day before Dobbs. The Supreme Court again quoted the common law and Blackstone. Hmm. Because the Supreme Court has said this, the Constitution was written in the nomenclature of the common law. Hmm. And the Constitution must be understood in light of the common law and its history. So in the Dobbs decision and in the New York Second Amendment case, they didn't just look at what Blackstone was saying in 1765. They went back to Matthew Hale before him and Bracton before him. And they went back to the Magna Carta Hmm. in in 1215. And they said, "This this has been a development of law outside any declaration of any legislative body okay so if you don't know what the common law is and you don't understand common law then you don't know what our constitution is supposed to mean and you can be manipulated by justices like Breyer and kagan and sotomayor Hmm. so this is fundamentally important so well then david well what was the judges what were they doing so here's, here's, for instance, how the common law might work. Um, the common law would say that when you go into a restaurant, you see the menu and you order it. The guy brings out your food and, and, and you eat it. And then he brings you the bill and you say, well, I don't have any contractual relationship with you. I'm leaving. Bye. Hmm. Now, the restaurateur sues you in court and says, I fed you a lobster dinner with all the trimmings and it was $50 on my menu and you didn't pay for it. The judge would look at that and he would say, Hmm, what principles exist here? This is like stealing that relates to the sixth commandment. You can't steal. Hmm. So what we have here, Hmm, this is like a contract an offer and an acceptance. You offered to provide a lobster meal, you accepted it, you ate it, and then you didn't pay for it. That's stealing. You have to pay the restaurateurs $50. So the judge wasn't making the law. Mm-hmm. He was looking outside the events, the circumstances, to discern what the law is hmm. and then trying to apply it. Okay. To resolve a dispute, and you don't need a uh, you don't need a legislature to say that you have to pay for the meal. You don't need some kind of written law that says that. 
That's right. That's right. So, for example, right now, I'll, I'll give you another current example that would drive this home. Mm-hmm. If you divorce your spouse, run off, and you leave her and your children, your minor children, behind, um, you would be sued for divorce. And the court would look at the statutes and say, you owe child support, and here's how much you pay, right? Mm-hmm. Well, the common law said there is a there are rights and duties that naturally arise out of the procreative act. Hmm. I don't need a statute to tell me, uh, Eric, you get your hind end in here and you pay for the food and the clothes and the shelter for these children. Mm-hmm. I don't need a statute for that because I've discerned that there are things that are true about the nature of relationships and the natures of rights and duties. And you cannot procreate and not be responsible. Hmm. I don't need a statute for that. I didn't need to have a statute for the restaurant. Yeah. Now, here's where it relates to marriage. Before there were ever any statutes providing licenses, did people get married? (laughs) Looks like Adam and Eve did, right? Yeah. Well, all throughout history, they did. Yeah. In fact, a hundred years before Obergefell, the same-sex marriage case in 2015, Mm -hmm. the Supreme Court says the right to marry exists at common law and is not conferred by the government. Hmm. It is a real institution, a God-given creational ordinance, Mm -hmm. a blessing between man and woman, what they naturally do. And the function of the judge is to enforce and protect and secure this relationship by saying, Eric, if you run out on your kids, you're going to come back here and pay for them. Mm-hmm. That was all before there were ever licenses, there were ever child support statutes, and all that. Hmm. So the Supreme Court said the right to marry is not conferred by the government. Those are their words. Hmm. The purpose of the statutes, therefore, is not to take state jurisdiction over marriage as if it owns this institution and can warp it whichever way it wants. Its purpose is to provide evidence of the marriage. Hmm. So here's what we mean. Um, Let's let's throw ourselves back a hundred years. And uh, I'm from actually a little bit North Georgia. My grandparents were farmers. My dad, you know, grew up a farm boy. So so I, I realize I can't make it as a farmer. Mm-hmm. And I, I take my family and I, I just go up to Detroit. And there I meet my wife and I get married and we have three children. And the next thing you know, grandpa dies, my dad's died. I have to come home and take care of the farm, right? I have mm-hmm. to take care of my. So on the way back, I die. Now the question is who inherits grandpa's farm? Hmm. Do my wife and children inherit grandpa's farm? Or if I wasn't married, will it go to my siblings or maybe my aunts or uncle who inherits that property? Hmm. Well, my wife would have to prove that she was married so that she and my children could inherit the property. Well, 30 years after we got married, the preacher's dead. <laughs> and my best man may have gone off to fight in World War One, and he's gone. How do I prove it? What are the witnesses that I'm going to haul back from Detroit? to North Georgia to say, yeah, 
I, I saw David and Linda do that, and they held themselves out that way, and they acted like they were married and called them to life, blah, blah, blah. I could have proved my marriage that way, but that got to be a pain, didn't it? Yeah. So they said, we're going to create these licenses, and so you can put this document into the record, and unless somebody rebuts it, you're married. Hmm. The government understood we don't create marriage. Marriage is. That was the concept of common law that there are realities to our existence that are what they are because God has created and ordained a law for the governing of our lives and our relationships. Marriage is one of them. Hmm. The Supreme Court in 2015 says, no, the government created marriage by its license. First word of blasphemy. Second word is that... the government can therefore redefine what marriage is. Second word of blasphemy. And now you can't get married unless you get permission from the government. You need a license. Yeah. That's right. So Christianity gave up marriage, in a sense, to the government over the last hundred years by saying that's the only way you can get married. Now, that wasn't a problem as long as it was just a man and a woman getting married. We didn't appreciate what we had given over. Mm. But we had, in essence, said marriage is not a gift from God to men and women. And the government's role is to secure it, to help it be proved, to enforce its rights and duties. We own it. You have to invite me to your wedding. So, So that's what a common law judge would have done. He would have said, oh. And in fact, that's what the Supreme Court said 100 years ago. The couple, which happened to be from Michigan, didn't have a license. It was that very same issue I gave you. Hmm. Does she and her children inherit or do the the siblings of the deceased inherit? And the Supreme Court said, well, you should have allowed evidence. You should allow the woman to bring in witnesses to prove she was married and you didn't. That's wrong. Hmm. So that's what judges did at common law is they resolved a dispute over who got the land in the context of particular facts based upon this understanding that law exists independent of the judge and exists independent of the legislature. And over time and history and traditions and development, we see what's called now common law. And that was sort of the name that was given to it. So, Hmm. in other words, you and I would say there was a law written on the heart of Adam and Eve, Romans chapter 2. That law became lost and fuzzy as man became more degenerate. So he spelled out the, here are the 10 things, stay Hmm. within these and you'll be fully human. The common law was in essence taking those 10 commandments and working them out. In the lives of people. Yeah. So, so for example, um, King Alfred, who tried to unify England after the Norman invasions and, and Rome had finally left and said, well, we can't, we can't govern this far away. He took all these customs and traditions from the various realms of the land, pulled them together and added to it at the beginning, the Ten Commandments. Hmm. And it's called Lord Alfred's doom book, which was the English word for judgment, Mm -hmm. doom. And so it was understood in the common law in England 
that it begins with the Ten Commandments and works itself out in the customs and the traditions and the way we we develop this law, which isn't that exactly what Moses was saying hmm. in Deuteronomy. So now let me go back to my example of the restaurant. So the judge rules that, David, you have to pay the restaurateur $50. Okay, great. That resolved that dispute. Now, in comes Eric into the restaurant, <laughs> and he orders the lobster dinner, too. And the chef brings him um, a red snapper and tries to convince him it's lobster. <laughs> but Eric's an educated man and knows that can't be true, and he says, I'm not eating this. <laughs> he gets up and walks out of the restaurant. The restaurateur says, huh, the last guy walked out of my restaurant had to pay me. I'm going to sue Eric. And he goes in and says, Your Honor, based on this precedent, you, you, need, you need to order Eric to pay for this. Mm-hmm. Now, the judge could do one of two things. He could say, well, you're right. That's what I did last time. So, Eric, you have to pay for that dinner. Hmm. And you'd be going, what do you mean? I, got, I, I didn't eat the dinner. Okay. <laughs> well, the next guy comes along, and same thing happens. He orders lobster, and uh, he, he gets a red snapper. The restaurateur sues and says, I got two precedents now in my favor. You need to make this guy, Bob, pay for this dinner. And here's the precedent. It's exactly like the case with Eric. Hmm. And the judge looks at that and he says, you know, I think I think that judge got that wrong. I think the judge misunderstood the law. He was mistaken about the law. That precedent is not binding on me. And so I'm going to order that Bob doesn't have to pay for the red snapper. Mm-hmm. Maybe you're. Bob is actually in front of the same judge that made you pay. And now he realizes, oh, man, I really messed that up, didn't I? Hmm. Because there was an offer to get the lobster dinner. That's what he agreed to pay for, but he didn't get it. So I was mistaken to apply the situation with Fowler to Eric. So I'm reversing myself. Hmm. See, that's what happened in the Dobbs case. Yeah, We messed this up. And now we have to fix it. Mm-hmm. We were mistaken. Now, they were mistaken about how to interpret the Constitution, but the common law would be the same thing. So mm-hmm. that's how common law works. But lawyers today are told that common law is judge-made law. Mm-hmm. The public accepts that common law, to the extent they even know what it is, is judge-made law. And that gives to the judge a power that he does not have. Interesting. Because he only has the power of judgment. So let me give you another analogy. Let's Mm -hmm. assume I'm a great and perfect father. Now, if your audience knows who I am, they'll all laugh at that. So that was a little (laughs) bit of humor. But but let's assume that I was. And I see you doing something with your children that I think will be destructive. And so I come into your home, or maybe we're at a church picnic. And I take your child, bend them over my lap, and I give them a good paddle, right? <laughs> now, you you would say, whoa, you didn't have any jurisdiction or power or authority relative to my children. <laughs> and I'd say, but, but I'm a good father. <laughs> I'm a father. And I'd say, yeah, you're the father of your children, <laughs> but not mine. So, so when judges are trying to make law, they're exercising a power that they don't have the same way that I would be paddling your children. Hmm. Does that does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely it does. 
Yeah. yeah. So, so in other words, I can paddle my own children, but as a judge of my children, I don't become the law for every child. I see. I can't make law for every child. I can't issue an order that says everybody whose child, you know, takes crayon, their three-year-old, and writes on their bedroom wall Mm -hmm. has to be spanked. I can't do that Mm -hmm. because all I was given authority to do was to judge in the case between me and my children, not you and your children or anybody else's children. Yeah. I'm not making law. I'm exercising judgment in my home, within my jurisdiction, and the judge's jurisdiction is limited to the courtroom. Hmm. No, that, does that help? It does help. A, it does help a lot, David. I, I really do appreciate that uh, that laydown of uh, the common law, the relationship, um, and the and the role of judges. Um, no, I, I think that's been very uh, extremely helpful. And uh, you know, my my goal in in this this episode is kind of like an introductory. I want to try to also um, pre- present to my audience more on this topic. Um, as as we move forward so this will be kind of like the introductory topic and then we'll you know i'm going to try to get into some other um applications and 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 things like that and perhaps uh you know we can coordinate a time to have you come back on um well well, i'd love to because people need to understand the concept of positive law yeah which we didn't get to today but what is positive law and what do we mean by that and how is it different from common absolutely but but you won't understand that until you understand what common law is. Yeah. So you've you've begun in the right place. Yeah. I, I absolutely. mean, I you. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. I was going to say anything. Anything else I could help you with before your time, uh, a lot of time runs up. I, I assume this is not a four-hour podcast show. <laughs> no, no. I, I usually try to keep it to around uh, thirty minutes or so. But uh, okay. you know, I definitely. I've had people on multiple times and uh, I hope we can stay in touch and, and have you on again in the near future and maybe to talk about that positive law. So um, again, I really thank you for coming on today, David. You're sure welcome. It was a blessing to me and I pray it will be to your audience. All right. Well, until next time, uh, take care and I'll talk to you later. All right. Okay. Bye-bye. All right. Bye-bye. Well, I hope that you enjoyed that interview with David Fowler. I certainly did, and I plan on having him on again in the near future to discuss the second half of our conversation about positive law and how it relates to common law. If you have any questions about those topics, please email me at the GBG at the GBG podcast at gmail.com. You can also go on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. You can search for the GBG podcast or Governed by God. You can search for Governed by God, and message me that way. Uh, And I'll pass on any questions that you might have for David, and we can perhaps address them in a future episode. And of course, please uh, share this show with with friends, co-workers, family, all the thumbs-up stars, reviews, all that stuff is what really helps to get this out to more individuals, which at the end of the day is all I'm trying to do. So I hope that this was a blessing, and please uh, join me again next time to discuss the other aspect of the common law and positive law with David Fowler. Until then, take care and God bless.